I cannot wait till we get these people service. And the thing that I'm so excited about is that our most rural customers are going to have better service than almost all of Seattle. Welcome to another episode of the Community Broadband Bits Podcast. I'm Christopher Mitchell at the Institute for Local Self-Reliance. And today I'm in Spokane, Washington, where I'm speaking with Will O'Donnell, who is at Jefferson Public Utility District, where he is the Broadband and Communications Director. Welcome to the show, Will. Hey, thanks for having me, Chris. Well, you hosted me. I had a great time many years ago for a broadband conference out there on the Olympic Peninsula across the sound from Seattle. How have things been since? Things have been very busy. It was great having you. That was the kickoff of our uh, strategic planning session in 2019. We went on to do two of them. The first strategic planning, uh, it didn't go very well. Um, <laughs> so, so after... After I screwed it all up, you brought in a proper keynote and it went much better. <laughs> no, no, no. It wasn't anybody's fault. It just, um, at the time, we did the study and we saw the writing on the wall, which was that it was going to be very expensive and it was going to be hard to uh, get to break even on expanding um, wholesale broadband service to all of our rural customers. Um, we're on the Olympic Peninsula of Washington. We've just got miles and miles of coastline, hills, forests, trees, and not much density, uh, which doesn't pencil out. So we did another study in 2021. We tried to focus very tightly on the numbers. We wanted it to paint the worst picture possible. And uh, we were lucky to retain uh, Doug Dawson, who you know, uh, to do the study for us, and he pre presented a very grave picture. I hope he gets yours right. He's an old man. <laughs> <laughs> he uh, he pre presented a very grave picture and said the only way that this would make sense is if the federal government paid for all of the capital construction costs and if Washington State legalized PUDs to sell retail Internet. And, and so you just had that happen and then and the both year. of those happened in three or four months and we went full bore after the money and we pursued retail authority and now we have uh, 50 million dollars in projects that are likely funded and we're we're one of the i think we're the only pud in washington state to be its own retail isp or we're planning to be we're still we haven't started the build that'll be this summer and who knows, right? I mean, that's one of the things that I feel like people don't always appreciate. Who knows what the future will bring? Uh, so um, I, I, and I just say that because we have the opposite problem. Well, it's, it's a similar issue, just in that as people are enthusiastic about open access, I feel like it's worth saying, who knows what will happen in the future? You can always open up a network once you have a lot of the cost paid. So I don't know if you're getting any if any disrespect here at this event, which is filled with people who are running <laughs> open access networks. No, no, we we have had a little bit of like, what are you guys doing? But we're at, we've been a wholesale provider. We have an open access network. We will continue to have an open access network. We will um, our existing ISPs can sell services or, over it. We expect to be adding a couple or more. Um, but we uh, have not had the local companies have not had the scale or ability to mm -hmm. serve some of our, the, the numbers that we need to do. So we have prepared it so that we can take on everybody. And if anybody wants to choose a different provider, they can do that. Um, we've been working really hard over the last few months to come up to really define our policies. When we first did it, we, we kind of had um, our first go at our open access policies were basically, here's our rates, here's 
30% off. There's our wholesale rates. To me, that didn't seem like <laughs> the best option for our customers. Well, what, yeah, what, what purpose is being served there necessarily? Yeah, right? exactly. <laughs> it was just like the, the, the thing that we really want to provide our customers is choice. Mm-hmm. So we develop our product and what I've been really working hard for and we're, we're, kind of, we're going to be um, taking our, another go at it in our open um, commission meetings in the next month or two is I want to make it so that the, the uh, ISPs that are going to be on our open access network can develop their own products, their own rates. Um, we'll just have a couple of si- simple products they can purchase from us and they can tailor them however they want. Mm-hmm. And I think that's going to give our customers the the most value over the network. Uh, the other thing for us is because we're new to this um, and because we want to try to prevent truck rolls, we're going to be doing managed Wi-Fi for every customer that just comes with the service. Where we're going to be providing the routers and uh, even mesh routers if they need that. And we'll all have it under one network so that we can monitor it folks don't want that system, they can go with an ISP. The ISP can either provide them the router or they can do their own. Because there are a lot of folks who are like, well, why do I have to have the router you provide? Um, We need them to have it so that we can monitor the system and provide them the best service. If they don't want them, they can choose a different or didn't, don't want that system. They can use another ISP. And I'll say that if, if anyone here is listening is is kind of doubting that or wants to know more about it, we did an interview with Calix uh, with uh, Claudia Tarbell and uh, the uh, CEO Michael Weening, and we talked about this in the middle and end of the show. And uh, and I think the benefits of having everyone standardized and having the ability to offer that service way outweighs the ability of people that have their own preferences and they want to maybe they want to get the wi-fi 7 as early as possible or whatever like all right let them deal with other isps and whatnot um there's a lot to be said for focusing on making sure you have a good plan that will pencil out you're not you're taking as much risk out as possible uh i want to come back to that in one second sure so the public utility district you do electricity just we do electricity, we do water, we do sewer, and and we've done wholesale broadband moving into retail uh, broadband. Because yep. not every public utility district does electricity, but you do. We do. Yes. Yep. Not every. Yeah. They, they they have any kind of combination. Some are only water. Some are only electric. Some mm-hmm. do a little bit of everything. We do everything. Right. But I want to I want to come back to this just to make sure that people have a sense then of when you say you need to pursue retail authority. That's often about banking relationships, right? Like banks or um, not necessarily banks, but lenders want to know that you have the capacity to generate all the revenue. And they're looking at the facial or your facial expression. Maybe that's not correct in this case. No, for us, it was for the amount of investment that we would need to put in to build these the fiber optic cables out to our rural customers, you know, down gravel roads, over foothills, through the forests, um, we needed to ha- return as much revenue as possible to be break even. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't need to profit, but we. The other part of it is, if we're going to be building this network, we'd like to have a bit of return so that we can keep expanding the network. So, I, you know, we have to break even, but we want to have enough so that we can continue to reinvest in expanding the network and serving more customers. Because we have these, we've got our rural areas where folks are on DSL copper and there a lot of them they'll they'll sell the property and then the new folks can't get service once they go. A lot of them are paying a lot of money for satellite connections um, and they're very unhappy especially during the COVID years when they couldn't do Zoom school over satellite or the the delays were really difficult. 
So we've got we've got to connect all those folks. But then we have a lot of folks in um, you know the kind of the semi-developed areas of our counties who are paying a ton of money for not very good service. And if we're going to be building out this massive asset of fiber optic cable throughout the county, you know we we're a public utility. We want to be able to provide it to everybody. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, I should have said also we're here at the Washington <laughs> Public Utility a, a District Association conference, uh, which is why we're able to talk to each other here at the historic Davenport Hotel, which is really cool. It's a lovely old hotel. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. And yeah. I guess it was uh, restored 20 years ago or so. It's, I have no it's idea. Good. I always like coming here, though. And they supplied me with XLR cords uh, because I forgot mine to do this interview. And so I'll just note that it's also quite affordable and lovely. So I highly recommend it. <laughs> right near the Riverwalk, the famous Riverwalk in downtown Spokane. Yes. So what are some of the challenges that, that you've seen? Like, I'm just curious, you, you put together that whole event that we did in 2019, and then you found that the numbers didn't pencil out. Was that crushing to you? Did you go into a period of depression at that point? <laughs> Me personally, and I can't speak for the utility on this, I didn't find the numbers not penciling out to be a problem. I, I feel like as a as a public utility, it's our job to provide our customers the service they need. Mm-hmm. And seeing how many folks could not get access and how how important broadband was. And it, it's funny because in 2019, it definitely seemed important. Two years later, it was essential. Right. <laughs> um, so I just felt like we had to do it no matter what. We would just have to find a way. Um, and there were little glimmers of hope. We could do things like local utility districts, which were self-financing. Um, we'll come the, back to that in a second. Yeah, some of the some of that was was challenging. Unless we really, and then we we never really got a conclusive look at whether or not wireless would work for us. And we wanted to pencil out. We wanted to sharpen the pencil on on putting in a wireless system, and the pencil uh, remained dull. That. I would imagine so. It's yeah. not the most uh, hospitable terrain. Way no, too many, no. way too many green things. Yep, yep, exactly. Uh, so LUDs. This is something that Kitsap, your neighbor. Yep. Uh, they they have done a lot of. Yep. I don't think you have that same sort of territory. It's a little different. Uh, I'm guessing the cost would have been much higher for the people that would be wanting to do it. It would not have worked as well for us. I think it has worked well in areas that are rural, that new developments have gone in, mm-hmm. that have that don't have the service because the new development is in a far out area. We don't have any new developments coming into our area. So it, it would have been grouping together um, homes that are uh, really disparate. It would be really hard to get the density needed to make it pencil out. Yeah. Unless we were to do the fiberhood model uh, that our neighbors in Mason 3 do, which is a fantastic model, but that requires a lot of self-funding up front that we didn't have at the time. Um, so we're, we're happy with the route we've chosen. It's, it's worked well so far. But so to reiterate, it's one of those things that I'm, I'm sensitive to this. Yeah. Critics of public ownership <laughs> frequently talk about how consultants come in and they yeah. lead you astray. They tell you it's going to be super easy and then you get in over your head. That is not at all your experience. I would say our consultant for the first round was very optimistic, but the final report was sobering. The idea is there are communities that do this. There's always a way. And I think that that is definitely true. But yeah, I think I, I think our general manager was very clear. He built uh, fiber optic networks uh, for SCADA, for uh, you know remote control of electric assets, things like super that over the years. Super 
Supervisory. Supervisory. Oh, now that you started, I no, no, remember. supervisory control and data acquisition. Correct. I, it was a, I, I struggle with supervisory, the hard, the easiest <laughs> part. <laughs> yeah, so he built it, and he knew that it was going to be difficult to make it pencil out. And also, you know, we we'll get back to the retail side of it. We are going to be charging as our as our entry fee sixty five dollars a month for one hundred and fifty by one hundred and fifty. Um, 65 is maybe a little bit higher than we would like to be at, but that is going to be at our cost. Um, and so that's kind of our starting point for us. We are lucky. Um, we've got a, a really proactive, uh, elected body and we have a low income rate that we give to all of our uh, electric and water customers. Anybody that's enrolled in that program will immediately get $20 off of their service from us. And then if we're, we've also enrolled in ACP. So, the, um, the starting rate for some folks could be as low as $15 a month uh, if they're income eligible. Are you serving anyone today? We do have a couple of business customers we take on as a trial basis. They are on our what we're calling our legacy active, active network, and we're building a new pond network. We do not have any pond customers at this time. And I've been trying to figure out a way to work Travis in because you're a big fan of Connect This. <laughs> yeah, big fan. <laughs> Frequent listener. You should comment more. <laughs> <laughs> I listen to you guys like I don't oh, listen to live. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, sorry. Yeah. Harder to comment that yep, way. Yep. Yeah, but uh, but um, he, he'll be sad that you're not using the direct. Uh, I'm curious when you're when you're looking at this equipment. I was just at a trade. I was just at a show mm-hmm. and getting a sense of uh, new things that are coming out. Some uh, microfiber, micro conduit type stuff. Um, when you're looking at this and trying to figure out how to make it go and making sure that you can hit your numbers and everything else, are you trying out things that would feel new? Or are you going for tried and true technology? Like how are you evaluating what technology to actually use in the field? We haven't, we're really depending on our design engineer or consulting engineer for a lot of that advice. They've built a lot of networks. Uh, they work uh, with Doug Dawson, Finley Engineering. They've been great so far. Well, some um, of them are from Minnesota. You got to watch out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, they're used to all that flat, soft land. So I, <laughs> I know it's going to be a little difficult in our terrain. We're probably going to be a little bit conservative on how we start off, at least with our first projects. And then we'll kind of kind of have to see as we go forward. Um Right now, it, you know, our main goal is just we want to get fiber to everybody. Mm-hmm. Yep. And with $50 million of project, is, uh, you said you're going to need a pool to be able to expand beyond that. Do you have a sense of what, what a total cost is to connect to everyone? Uh, we, our original estimate was almost $100 million to connect everybody. I think that was low. Does $50 million get you to like 80% of the people? Oh, or? no. God, no. Oh, no. Oh, okay. uh, $50 million gets us about... 4,000 customers out of uh, 21,000 meters. So that's a quarter. Yeah. Oh, wow. So this is literally not one of those things where you can, you don't have any pockets of density is what you're saying. Not one. Basically. No. Well, it's funny. We, uh, we did take out, we got, we were awarded a $2 million, very low interest loan from the state of Washington to build uh, fiber to the downtown Port Townsend, which is our only city. It's got just about 10,000 people. It's a beautiful, historic, um, community right on the water. The loan requirements, we were the only ones in the, the state to, to apply for it. It's 0.4% interest rate. What they defined as unserved was businesses who don't have one gig down by 50 megs up. Mm-hmm. And nobody in Port Townsend has that. So we applied and we're like, this is a sure thing. And we got it. Um, so that's our only dense area, but that's only for businesses, not for residents. Okay. Everything else is as rural and as far flung and as inexpensive to build as you can imagine. 
That sounds like it. I mean, I, I remember when we were driving through there, so it fits with my memories. But at this point, anything pre-pandemic, I don't trust. There's too many cobwebs. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep. What are you excited about? You know, if I if I'm talking about like, what do you what do you think in two years? Are you going to be? Um, are there any things in the in the short term that you're looking forward to, or is it kind of grim as you're just looking to this hard slog of of uh, not just spending the money you already have, but continuing to look for more money? No, I'm so, so so excited about this project. I mean, people are desperate for it. They've been asking us to do this for years. I sent out a message to some of our customers the other day saying, hey, our old website data wouldn't uh, upload to the new website. Do you mind uh, sending us your info yet again? And I felt bad. I was trying to find a technical solution around this. But they were just so happy to hear from me and so happy <laughs> that this is moving forward that they would call and thank me. For having to do the same work all over again. So I, I cannot wait till we get these people service. And the thing that I'm so excited about is that our most rural customers are going to have better service than almost all of Seattle. The fiber in Seattle is few and far between. Mm-hmm. Most everybody's on cable. They're paying a lot for it and they're not getting great service. So we're all of our rural residents are going to have amazing service for a great price. And it's delivered by their local power company and their friends and neighbors. So, yeah, I'm, I'm psyched. And that's coming from Will O'Donnell, the most popular person in, the, <laughs> in Jefferson County. No way. <laughs> nope. What advice do you have for other folks who are looking at this issue and trying to figure out, you know, this looks hard. Is this really something I want to spend years of my life working on? I'll put it a different way. The boring thing is like this is a once in a lifetime opportunity, which it is and it has been. We've been more, we're trying to get everything wrapped up before the, for our funding and before the bead even comes out. We expect the bead to be more uh, competitive. And um, so we're hoping we can have all of our rural areas taken care of before that. Like we were just talking, Lewis PUD was on the stage mm-hmm. a little while earlier and they were talking about how, you know, it seemed like they were kind of saying if there's an award program that they haven't earned money from, they'd like to know about it because they've, They've hit them all. They got the reconnect. They got the the state awards. They've uh, they've been they've been busy. Yeah, and then we've been on the exact same track. I, I think the thing for us is going to be the big challenge is, like I said, about our rural area is going to have better uh, service than Seattle. Our rural areas are going to have better uh, service than all of our uh, dense areas or slightly dense areas, our small towns in our county. So the the next challenge for us is figuring out a funding model that can get to them. And at that point, we will have to be a competitor. We're a little bit of a competitor now of building in the area where folks have satellite service and where they have other things. That's been the thing I've probably, I've researched a bunch and I haven't come to a conclusive answer, but trying to figure out a way, we looked into doing video over IP, the, um, the tell oh, you wanted to have a headache. Well, here's the thing is that, you know, the same reason we did the managed Wi-Fi was that we have a lot of older folks in the rural area. Sure, they have preferences. Most of them have satellite, and we're going to be asking them to take on a $65 payment for a service that they don't really necessarily need. Mm-hmm. You know, I think they do need it, but they, it's not one of the things they're looking for on a day-to-day. So we have to convince them to take this. We install it to their home for free. We provide that fiber optic cable, but a lot of them won't want to sign up unless they can really use it. And if we don't have a television component... It's going to be hard for them to be enthusiastic about signing right, up. Right, because they have to make room in their budget for another thing. Right. And one of the ways to do that is to say, well, we're going to offset your cost of cable television. Right. But if they're not going to be able to watch 
the Mariners, I'm guessing, or right. whatever, then they're going to be less enthusiastic about it. They're going to be less enthusiastic. In fact, I've had um, children of folks who have homes in some of these rural areas or adult children who've talked to me about how they've, they've been trying to convince their parents to sign up for it, telling them it's free, you should do it. And they're like, well, I just don't need it. Why would I want that? Mm. Why would I take on that service? So we did a hard look at providing television. It did seem like too much trouble. I think it, it's going to take a lot of outreach. And I've been sampling all the services to figure out you know, how they work and how we can communicate that. And frankly, the, the subscription services are not great. Um, you don't get the local TV as well. They're confusing yeah, I really like YouTube TV, but it is not cheap. It's not cheap, and it's not that user-friendly. Uh, and Hulu was not either. Uh, I have been loving Tubi, which is free, and I can watch uh, strange British shows. I've been watching the <laughs> New Zealand hit comedy Outrageous Fortune. And they have uh, all, oh, they have V, which I watched when I was a kid. Do you remember V? I the do. The weird alien yeah. show from yeah. NBC in, yeah. like, 1982. Yeah. <laughs> So maybe I can sell them on Tubi because it's free and they can, <laughs> but they're not going to watch the Mariners that way. Yeah, that's it's going to be a challenge. That's one of the things that is going to be interesting as we get closer to, you know, we've we've got we've had no problem getting close to our uh, take rate projections. People want the service, but when, when they have to make that final decision about do I want to pay that sixty five dollars a month, uh, it's going to be interesting to have those conversations. about so, what they get for it. You said, I mean, is this still mostly theoretical, though, in terms of it? Because you haven't signed up a lot of customers yet, but you have a lot of confidence about the take rate. How is that working? No, we've had folks pre-register. Okay. Because there's no cost to build to them, um, we have them sign up online to get the service. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think in our two biggest areas, we're approaching 50%. Uh, 60% was our take rate goal. Uh, and we've done not very much outreach. Uh, we sent one round of postcards. We've done online stuff. We've done stuff in our newsletter. We've, we've spent no money really on advertising or marketing. We don't have a radio station. We don't have TV that we can yeah. sell to them on. 50% is pretty exciting when uh, people have to take it on faith that it's actually going to be worth it. Right, exactly. Usually you'll get a second wave then as the, as the word of mouth starts spreading. Well, and, and I've just been, we're getting closer and closer to going out to bid for construction. And once we get there, I really want to do another push um, to get people, because then it'll be real. And once mm -hmm. we're actually building and they see the trucks in the area i think the numbers will go way past our take rates yeah you should have a well this would be not safe but a little sign on the truck when they're waiting in traffic because uh, construction <laughs> in the road that says sign up while you're waiting <laughs> sorry for the delay sign up for yeah yeah get out make your this phone. all worth it right with a little qr code on the <laughs> right. side of the yeah no i thought car qr codes were worthless at first but now that they're, oh they're, i love them yeah. now that they're useful yeah. yeah yeah i remember when i would first see them well at first it felt like everybody wanted you to watch a video every qr code mm -hmm. was like a five minute documentary and now it's like you just buy the service yeah yeah or for me it's just like you know download this podcast right there you go yeah. perfect yeah 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 cool well thank you so much for your time today thank you we have transcripts for this and other podcasts available at muninetworks.org slash broadband bits. Email us at podcast at muninetworks.org with your ideas for the show. Follow Chris on Twitter. His handle is at communitynets. Follow muninetworks.org stories on Twitter. The handle is at muninetworks. Subscribe to this and other podcasts from ILSR, including Building Local Power, Local Energy Rules, and the Composting for Community podcast. You can access them anywhere you get your podcasts. You can catch the latest important research from all of our initiatives if you subscribe to our monthly newsletter 
at ilsr.org. While you're there, please take a moment to donate. Your support in any amount keeps us going. Thank you to Arnie Hughesby for the song Warm Duck Shuffle, licensed through Creative Commons. This was the Community Broadband Bits podcast. Thanks for listening. <laughs>